could read my mind, love What a tale my thoughts could tell Just like an old-time movie About a ghost from a wishing well In a castle dark Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet You know that ghost is me And I will never be set free As long as I'm a ghost You can't see I could read your mind, love What a tale your thoughts could tell Just like a paperback novel The kind of drugstore sells When you reach the part Where the heartaches come The hero would be me The heroes often fail And you won't that book again because the ending just too hard to take I'd walk away like a movie star who gets burned in a three-way street Into number two A movie queen to play the scene Of bringing all the good things out in me But for now, love, let's be real Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for the Financial Hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered... By Dupree Financial Group. So the first time I think I was ever really aware of uh, Gordon Lightfoot, who just passed away this week at age 84, was I think I was at uh, this camp in Colorado. I was 13 years old. It was the summer of 1969. It was actually I was 12. I don't turn 13 until uh, November. And uh, on rainy days, we would sit in the uh, cabin and listen to the AM radio out of Denver. And I can tell you every song that was on the top 40 that summer. Pretty sure Gordon Lightfoot had, you know, some of his better songs came in the early 70s, but... He was starting to put out songs then. And it just seems like as long as I've ever listened to the radio, when I was young, Gordon Lightfoot had a song on there. So that just tells you what era I grew up in. All right. Warren Buffett's secret sauce involves one of investing's most basic strategies. Dividend stocks are core to the Berkshire portfolio, which is expected to generate about $5.7 billion in cash this year. Uh, what has made Warren Buffett's stock portfolio so successful over time? One answer is an uncanny knack for picking good businesses. Another, according to Mr. Buffett, is something more understated, an appreciation of dividend-paying stocks. All right. 
Now, this is something we do here. One of the di- let's let's make it clear what I've heard people tell me one or say to me, ask me. I, I'm getting some bond dividends. <laughs> uh, no, bonds pay interest because the general um, construction of a bond is that it is a loan. Now, they have some bonds that convertible bonds and things that have quasi uh, stock or option characteristics to them. But a bond is a debt instrument. A debt means you borrow from me for X period of time at X interest rate, and then I pay you interest during the meantime and principal at the end. Or if it's a zero coupon, I pay you all your interest at the end. But that's how bonds work. Dividends on the other side, on the other hand, a dividend is essentially a sharing with the shareholders part of the profits of the company. A company cannot expense dividends. It can expense interest, not principal, but interest. So interest cost from a company is treated as uh, an expensable item, and to those who receive it, it's fully taxable. Dividends, on the other hand, at the company level, cannot be expensed. They're part of the profits, and they're taxed separately to um, those who receive them. So dividends if they are coming from a company can be raised over time, they're not required to be paid. Every time a dividend gets paid, it gets declared by the board of directors. A dividend is not required. It's an, it's an act of good faith on the part of the management of the company towards its shareholders. There's an understanding there. Now, I'll never forget when Adarsh Mashru, who worked here previously, and I took a trip to Europe to invite in uh, to um, uh, visit with some of the companies in which we had investments. One of those was was Nestle. Nestle is based in a town called Vevey, V E V E Y, in Switzerland. It's on the shore of uh, Lake Geneva. It's about 14 miles away from a, a town called Lausanne, L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E. Just a quick train ride, really. Right there on the shore. So we went in the office of the CFO, and we were talking, and, and we're looking out on Lake Geneva from his office. Beautiful view. And uh, we asked him about the dividend, and we said, uh, uh, is there a chance you would ever – you know, cut the dividend or reduce it or whatever. And he, he said, you see that lake out there? And, and we said, yeah. He said, it's pretty deep out in the middle. He said, if I cut that dividend, they're going to put me in a boat, take me out there with a couple of concrete uh, blocks that they're going to tie around my ankles, and I'm going overboard. He said, that dividend, we would cut, we would not pay interest on our bonds before we'd cut that dividend. Of course, they couldn't do that. But uh, 
because so many people in Switzerland had Nestle stock and relied on it for their retirement income. So it is, but a dividend is an understanding between the management and the shareholders. And some might say that it's actually more sacrosanct or intimate in a sense than is the fact that the company pays the debt on their bonds. They have to pay the debt. It's not there anything to it, but the dividend is like an understanding between the company and its shareholders. And Warren Buffett understands this. Now, strangely, Berkshire has never paid a dividend and probably never will. So he doesn't have that same relationship with his <laughs> shareholders, but he certainly does invest in companies that do that with their shareholders. Uh, while we're talking about the companies that pay them too, I think it's important to note <clears throat> generally. So you've got, if it's a, a regular company, a C corp, you've got, you know, it's a, a portion of the earnings that they pay out. Generally, these are more mature businesses because early companies grow quote unquote growth stocks. Those companies are reinvesting back into their business to try to grow. Um, right. So generally, companies that pay dividends are more mature businesses that have a more repeatable earnings, uh, repeatable revenue business model, uh, because then that's, you you look at a company that's raised their dividend for over 60 years, every single year. Um, the likelihood that that continues is high. Nothing's guaranteed, but it is likely that they'll continue doing that. It's it's and, it's almost as likely as the fact that they'll pay interest on their bonds yeah, because yeah, that gets down to the reputation of the company. Right. And if they destroy their uh, share price and their reputation with their investors and that sort of thing, <clears throat> that's as bad as a default. Right in 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 some ways, those managers are going to be looking for new jobs if that happens. That's right. <laughs> um, but the other important thing. When you're looking for dividends, um, no other types of companies out there. So if you look at master limited partnerships or REITs, um, REITs, which stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, those companies are required to pay out 90% of their income to the shareholders. So that that dividend is a little more like an interest payment because – they have to pass it through. They, they, yeah. They're not building up cash on the balance sheet in a sense. Right. And, and that's what you have to be careful of. You have, you have to understand the risks that are associated with each one, just the mechanics on how they work. Because like you said, a REIT or a master limited partnership, they can't retain earnings. So what does right. that mean? If they're growing, they have to have access to capital. Um, and unlike something like a, a, a property and casualty insurance company that can retain earnings, um, a REIT, you have to be careful because if, if they're, um, they, say they own physical properties, there's a lot of different types of REITs, but if they own physical properties and they're trying to grow, they have to be able to, you know, issue preferred shares or issue debt or issue new shares of their stock, which is dilutive. So there's all the, the mechanics of it makes a big difference. So you have right. to be careful when you're looking for dividends. Yeah. A dividend, the payment of a dividend is an, is a, is, is like a cooperation 
as I said, between the uh, between the management and the and the shareholders. Right now, Warren Buffett has a lot of stocks in the portfolio at Berkshire Hathaway that pay dividends, and they have for years. Right. Um, one of those, uh, uh, the statistics on this are just fascinating. It just shows the long-term, uh, you know, the value of long-term compounding. So in 1994, Berkshire finished uh, buying the roughly 400 million shares of Coca-Cola it currently owns for $1.3 billion. That year, Berkshire got $75 million in cash dividends from Coca-Cola. Fast forward to 2022, Berkshire receives $704 million in dividends, and the value of the Coke shares is now $25 billion. So they invested $400 million, uh, bought 400 million shares for $1.3 billion. That's now worth $25 billion. But the really amazing thing is that dividend. They received $704 million in dividends on their original cost of $1.3 billion. That's just the long-term compounding, um, the, the company raising its dividend. So you can look at, th- take it away from Berkshire, think of it as if you're investing in these companies, you have your yield on cost, which on something this long, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 50%. Um, but <laughs> you have to look at current yield too. And current yield takes into account valuations. Well, and inflation too, because I mean, that's a fantastic number and you certainly want to see it grow. But at an, on a real basis or an inflation adjusted basis, it's not as impressive as it sounds. I'm not here to try to kill the enthusiasm <laughs> for dividend growth stocks. That's not it. Uh, but I mean, it absolutely, that is one of the better stories out there as far as dividend being increased over that time period. I mean, Coca-Cola, right. Coca-Cola is a gold medal stock for that. Uh, one thing, though, I do think we need to touch on is Warren Buffett loves stocks that pay dividends, but he doesn't like to pay dividends to shareholders. Not. And I think it's important to note that he feels that the money, the, the dividends that Berkshire receives, he's able to reinvest that at a higher rate of return than the shareholders can and invest And you certainly themselves. could have criticized him for that in the last three to four years when he built up a huge cash hoard uh, of, you know, over $100 billion sitting in T-bills that up until seven, eight, eight months ago, eight, nine months ago, uh, were paying almost zero. Yeah. And, you know, and Apple, they had as much if not more in cash and we're doing exactly the same thing uh you know just stacking it up in the bank and making nothing on it so i don't think uh you know but i it seems to me like warren buffett would rather pay cash for something if if he thought he could as opposed to um having to finance it well and if what he's able to do because of the structure of Berkshire, he's able to to earn interest on the on the float on the. Uh, I mean, he's he's able to invest in opportunities that are going to pay more than uh, than the average investor is going to to uh, make on that money if they if they get it back and reinvest it. But what you're effectively doing is you're you're trusting that Warren Buffett knows what the heck he's doing and he's going to make good decisions on how he allocates that money, uh, and and you. Uh, you're betting on management whenever you have these companies. Whenever you buy a stock, you're 
you're saying I trust the management to do the right thing with my investment. Well, the the other uh, important piece to that is, you know, Buffett said in in uh, it was one of his annual letters um, that not only the dividend increase, you know, that's that's attractive, but it's also that the share price tends to follow over long periods of time uh, because if if they're able to raise their dividend. The company's doing well. That'll tend to pull up because if the share price didn't move up, if it started out and it had a four percent dividend yield, and they rate continuously raise the dividend, the yield if the share price didn't move would go up to you know eight, nine, ten percent, and then the market would tend to buy to reprice to the interest rates, um, and so it it just it goes it goes together. You know, if you have a company that's growing, raising its dividend, typically over time, the share price will follow. Well, and right. you'd also, companies, I mean, they all, this article also mentions there's, uh, it could be seen as a, a warning sign if a company decides to cut their dividend or suspend their dividend. And we saw that certainly in the in the COVID crisis that, that happened when the financial markets just basically seized up. And one company in particular that stands out to me is the Walt Disney Company. They cut their dividend, and it was expected to be temporary. But now they've uh, they three four years later they still haven't uh, reinstated that dividend. And uh, I think that's something you can get uh, if you if you don't stay on top of your investments. Things like that can happen. Your income stream gets cut. Uh, I do view it as a sign that maybe the company has bigger problems if they're having to cut their dividend because Disney stock has not been a good investment in the last several years well, because of that dividend cut. So there's only two ways that you get your total return by investing in stocks. And this gets to our portfolio. We, we, we observe this also. The, the best way, really to get your return, total return, the most tax-efficient way is growth, growth of shares. I mean, if you had a share price that grew steadily every year, you buy it at $10, the next year is at 12 then after that it's at 14 or 15 and it just kept growing, that's the absolutely best and most tax-efficient way to deal with it. Or you could get a stock that, you paid $10 for that pays $2 a year in dividends instead. Now you're going to get at the end of the year, if it's in a taxable account, your shares are still worth $10, let's say, but you now have $2 worth of taxable income. You got to pay tax on it that year. You got to reinvest it. You, you, there's some work you have to do. Uncle Sam gets involved. That's true with any dividend-paying stock unless it's inside of an IRA or a tax-deferred account, in which case taxes are not due on it until you take the money out. So you can reinvest the money as cash or what have you and do it that way. It's still less efficient than owning a stock that just you know, goes up all the time because now you got reinvestment uh, issues. I happen to believe that you have to have a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett's Coca-Cola. He's never sold a share. It's gone from a million three, a billion three to 25 billion. That's a lot of growth along the way. It paid a lot of dividends. Mm-hmm. 
So, but it also did not go up in a straight line. It's easy to look back from not. 40 years ago and say, oh, well, that was a no-brainer to buy that. But there were times when people were panicked about Coca-Cola's future and wanted to sell, but Buffett hung tight. Well, that's true, but it just seems like you're just bound and determined to brain on everybody's parade. <laughs> no, Mr. Sunshine. Like really, 31, was 1992, did you say? It was, was it 94. 94. Yeah. Uh, 94. 94. 94 is when they finished buying them. Yeah, that's not even 30 years. Yeah. So. But the same, <clears throat> the same thing with uh, Amazon stock. Um, you know, you look back at the chart on Amazon, you're like, well, my goodness, if you just would have bought it, bought it, you know, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. Well, you look at the chart on that, the the roller coaster that you would have been on, I mean, at times you may have been down 75, 80%, right. um, you know, significant losses. And so that's where it comes in, the, the portfolio management comes in, is being disciplined in taking profits along the way to you you do that to mitigate risk right um especially if this is something you're going to be using for income uh where you're going to be drawing on it now if it's a perpetual investment like berkshire that's a different story um but if you're drawing on it living on it you have to manage volatility manage risk you've been listening to the tom dupree show with mike johnson chad sturgill and tom dupree If you'd like for us to take a look at your portfolio, make sure you're set up for the stage of life you're in, call us 859-233-0400. You can go to our website and schedule an appointment to come see us directly on there. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Financial Hour. Stay tuned. I walk away like a movie star who gets burned in a three-way My name is Tom Dupree. Without a plan, you're doomed to failure. Many people have no idea how they plan to tap their retirement investments for income during retirement. At Dupree Financial Group, we specialize in retirement investing. That means turning your growth portfolio or your IRA into an income portfolio. You may need to draw on it for a lot of years Come in and let us review your plan and give you some ideas. Call us at 859-233-0400 and set up a complimentary appointment to review your investments. Listen to the Tom Dupree Show at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at DupreeFinancial.com. The lake it is said never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. 
That good shipping true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early The ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? The wind and the wires made a tattletale sound And the wave broke over the railing And every man knew as the captain did too Twas the witch of November come stealing The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait When the gales of November came slashing when afternoon came, it was freezing rain In the face of a hurricane west wind Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. More of Gordon Lightfoot. We can't play enough of it. Uh, I remember when this song came out. It's about an actual freighter which was sunk in a storm in Lake Superior, uh, which is the biggest of all the, the lakes. Um, and it probably came somewhere out of one of those iron mines, sort of east of Duluth, which you, you come down to Duluth at the bottom of the lake, and then to the east of that is uh, is is... Well, actually, you got to go farther over. I, I'm pretty sure it was Lake Superior. Could have been Lake Huron, but I don't know which lake it was. It was one of the Great Lakes. You know which one it was, Chad? I've been on Superior. It's I a think big, it's Superior, yeah. It's a big son of a gun. Does Superior can put up a wave as big as the ocean. Wow. Ever bet. You get out in the middle of it, you can't see the other side. But it was a it was a freighter that, that did sink. One other Jordan Lightfoot song. We'll get into this stuff. I sent it to you. This is the song that my friend, my parents' friend, uh, Roger Ladenberg, used to play on a Guild 12-string guitar in the late 60s. And he would sing it. He'd come over to my parents' house. They'd have people over. He drove a Jaguar XKE. All right, put it back to the very start where the guy's introducing him. All right, well, just play it. All right, this is a song called Early Morning Rain, and it's really his first song. It came off his first album. Listen to the picking in the background. Turn it up a little more. He's strumming a 12-string, but the other guys are doodling around. 
So you're not going to let me listen to any more of it than just that, right? <laughs> Third song of the hour. Three care. strikes, you're out. <laughs> you know what? I'll play I got another it's one. It's your show. I got one you're by, right. Hey, I got one by Janet Jackson that's a cover of a Gordon Lightfoot song. You want to play that one? I told you if you kept heckling me, I was going to turn some rap on. Okay. So, <laughs> Getting the sharp end of the investing stick. Investors are flooding into funds that specialize in private debt. Many claim to offer mouthwatering returns at extremely low risk, but these claims depend on an unrealistic definition of risk. Now, you're talking about private REITs here for the most part. That could also apply to annuities. That's right. At least the mental element of it. That's right. What this is talking about with a... A private debt fund, um, it, it trades in, as the name says, non-public, meaning with a with a publicly traded stock, for example, you know what the, what the value of each share of that stock is worth every second of every day that it's trading, if there's a lot of volume. With bonds, publicly traded bonds, you, you know what it's worth, but they don't trade as often, generally. You don't have the volume on a lot of bonds. On private debt, you don't know what it's worth until, for whatever reason, something changes hands. Now, right. now what that does inside of the fund, it, it quote-unquote smooths out the valuation. So let's say March of 2020, COVID happens. And um, there are some REITs that are that way. Yes. And it's not debt that's underneath it. It's actual real estate. Property. Yes. Um, and we saw this in 2020, sp specifically on uh, physical property. Uh, you have some private placement REITs out there where it, the publicly traded REIT market sold off, you know, say in the 30% range in March of 2020. The private REITs didn't show that because their, their property wasn't changing hands. There was no mark to market on the underlying assets. Now what happened in 2020, you had a sharp drop and then a quick rebound. Right. And so it kind of smoothed that whole thing over. If you have a, a, a sharp drop and it stays down for uh, any period of time, an extended period of time, then the private placement holdings, be it debt, be it real estate, whatever it is, is going to reflect that. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> it can serve a purpose. The, these types of, I mean, it's, it's like anything out there. Annuities can serve a purpose. Private placement can serve a purpose for very specific things. Unfortunately, a lot of these things are sold to the general public because they are high commission. You know, there's there's an ulterior motive there, and sometimes they can be sold on false pretenses. You know that what what the, the play on words he's using here, the sharp end of the investing stick, is he's referring to the sharp ratio, which which reflects the level of return for the equivalent risk that you're taking. So one of these funds was showing a sharp ratio of 10 and a very low beta, which is a measurement of volatility. So, hey, I'm getting a huge return for the amount of risk, and I'm not having hardly any volatility. Who wouldn't want that, right? But 
it's trying to apply a publicly traded measurement of risk to a private placement. Yeah. Uh, and that's that is a very good point. You can't do that. Yeah. Because you shouldn't do it anyway. Well, <laughs> here's 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 the other thing. Usually any private investment has a lockup period because you can't expect something that's going to pay you a nice yield like that to be able to get into it and out of it any day, any time at the same price. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to function that way. And so therefore, um, what you lose is some liquidity. Now, the other thing is the, the underlying asset isn't liquid either. And you, so what you lose there is knowing what your investment's really worth. And you go out here, let's say you own a piece of some thoroughbred horses. You don't know what they're worth until they go through the uh, sale ring. That that would be something that people in central Kentucky would understand. Now, in the meantime, you you might need to know what they're worth for your bank or your CPA or somebody. You can have them appraised, but an appraisal is just that. Yeah, it's an appraisal, and it it's not a market price. What we do. At Dupree Financial Group, and the way we invest our portfolios, we invest in assets primarily that are priced on a daily basis. They're priced several times a day. If they trade on on, on markets, uh, they can go up and down in price. You're always going to know what the value of what the not the value, but the price of your investment is. There's a difference between value and price. What's value? Well, value is what we think its ultimate price should be in a perfect world. And we can make a case for why the price would get to that, get to whatever it gets to. Price is what people are actually willing to pay for it today. Never confuse value with price. We try not to. Uh, Everything has a price. Everything has a cost. Value has to be researched. It has to be ascertained. It's never apparent to the on first blush. It's something that you intuit or that you pull out of an experience. You can always find out the price of something, but the value takes more time. I love the next point here because this is something we've, we've told people for a long time. This is Zweig writing this. Uh, he says, what if instead of buying the funds, you bought the stock in the firms that are offering them? So look at you know a company like Blackstone. Uh, because because what they say, what he the point he's making here, you're on the side of the fee collectors instead of the side of the fee payers. Um, and so you look at insurance companies, you know, annuities, you know, the flip side of that would be an insurance company. Um, insurance companies could be very good investments. Private equity companies can be very good investments, um, but not necessarily 
the policy, the, the insurance policy or the annuity or a private placement there, but it can be the, the parent company that's collecting the fees if it's a, a private equity that's collecting the fees and that gets performance incentives. So it's we want our clients to be on the same side of the table. You know, we, we right. you want to own things that own companies that have good business models. Mike Chipotle's having a, a down day. I know. You know what made me feel better? I bought, I had a burrito today. From Chipotle. So that's why the stock's up again, probably. It's down. It's down it, oh, because it's down you had today? a burrito. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know. Might time be time to, to buy, buy, Mike. No, uh, Mike. I'm going to wait until it gets, I know where it's going. I'm going to get it the next time when it gets down. You know what? It is. A couple of things on that. There is no free lunch. I think that's important to remember in investing. And if you have something Even that has Chipotle. a sharp ratio. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. The if you have something that is uh, that seems like it's it's low volatility, high return, and then you've got to look a little closer to see, well, why is that? Well, it doesn't price very often, so they can smooth the numbers and make it look better than it really is if it were a publicly traded uh, REIT instead. Uh, you also need to ask, what's in it for the other guy? Why is he so eager to sell me that private REIT? Why is uh, he so eager to sell me that annuity or the timeshare or whatever the, the investment or the the purchase is going to be. Uh, try to understand their side of it there. And if you think it's a fair profit for them, they're offering a good service or a good product and a fair price, then, you know, that, so that's, that's a world that we don't with. really operate in because that's going to have a commission attached to it. Right. We don't, we're not a commission deal. Uh, it's important to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. It is important to point it out. Not that there's anything wrong with commissions. It's just that in the commission world, you don't have, I don't want to say anything negative about it. Pause I, I, for uh, yeah. I, I'm not gonna. It's the incentives are different. Let's put it that way. It's a part of the market. It makes it up the market. Um, it, it's it's no different than uh, a car dealer that you know deals in Toyotas. You don't expect the Toyota dealer to say no. You don't need the Toyota. You need a Ford. Um, it, it makes they're the selling market. Toyotas, yeah. so they think everybody needs a Toyota. Yeah, of course, but, but it's carpenter. The, he thinks everything, every problem is a nail. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, the you as the consumer, as the investor, you have to be aware of what the incentive is for the person that's selling you something or providing you advice. Um, is it? you know, to get you to buy something for a commission? Uh, is it uh, to grow your assets, provide it, whatever it may be? Um, we've tried to, you know, we align our incentive with that of the value of the account. Our incentive is to grow our clients' accounts. Right. I want to just interject something real quick. It appears that Andy Barr is going to be on with us for the first half of the third hour talking about the debt limit negotiations. So th this is, I would say that that's been something of an overhang in the market. It's not the whole thing. You got things going on in banking and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, we don't have this here, but I did want to talk a little bit about banking right now because we're in a day where uh, you're having a, another sell-off in the banking sector. It was just uh, – uh, it was um, 
Pacific West. Yeah, Pac West, and then who knows if you got Bill Ackman out there telling everybody there's a problem. You got to be careful with Bill Ackman. In fact, I think he's kind of a snake in the grass. If you really want to know my feeling on him, he's probably short a whole bunch of uh, bank-related yeah. things. And so he's out there talking his book. And for some reason, he's willing to talk, and all these outlets pick him up and quote him and everything. And they don't look at the track record of what he's done. He's also uh, busting Carl Icahn's chops right now since Icahn's uh, investment vehicle has traded off significantly in the last few days. But uh, I would simply say that uh, you got to look at these things as something of an opportunity here. Well, what's happened there, just to let people know if they haven't been following it, is that after the market closed yesterday, Pacific West or word leaked that PacWest had hired a financial advisor to explore their options on their way forward, either sell the company, sell some assets, or... Uh, just, just something that basically is a sign of uh, a lack of confidence in management. They wouldn't hire a financial advisor otherwise. So the stock sold off about 50% or more after hours. And it's kind of brought uh, where we thought we'd been, gotten the all clear after things were cleaned up with, uh, with First Republic and people could get back into these regional banks. This is a sign that it isn't all clear yet. So that's why you're seeing some headwinds here. Right. And the Federal Reserve raised the interest rates for the 10th straight time yesterday another quarter point uh, to five and a quarter percent so that those are those are some headwinds there but that's uh, uh that back to your your comment there's some uh, or you're you're not being able to trust what people are saying uh, they're talking their book more than likely yes yeah you, you would have to be so but there are some things out there i mean the regional bank sector you know they want to make it sound like oh you know regional banks are going away i don't think so you know yeah well and all this, I mean, it's it's important what's going on in banking. Uh, it's vitally important. It's important what's going on with interest rates. Um, interest rates. Interest. Interest. I said I had interest. I had interest. I gotta give you grief. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Once a show, at least there yeah, it was. Once a show. You know, all the Boyd County listeners on this show, they're going to be calling in and yeah. giving giving you grief. Everybody, yeah, everybody that listens yeah, right now should. that's from Boyd County yeah, needs should. to give, give, get give the us a silent treatment as if he goes well there. You know, one of these I'm days it's going to be Tom's turn. I'm not, <laughs> picking, <laughs> I'm not picking on Boyd County. I just like messing around. Um, He's only picking on Mike. That's yeah, it. Just Mike. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing, with all this stuff that's going on, um, they, they've done some studies here recently that uh, people's uh, confidence in retirement or their ability to retire uh, has gone down. Duh. The, mar- yeah. the market's gone down. Well, uh, of course it has. I mean, th- these surveys, they go on emotion. This is all about emotion. How are you feeling right now? Um, be careful of basing your retirement plan, uh, financial plan on a feeling uh, uh, that's based on what the market's doing. Um, A a proper plan and investment approach um, should carry you through those types of volatile environments. You need to know what you own, why you own it. Um, Have a clear 
concise plan on what's going to happen when the inevitable happens, when we have a volatile market. Um, you, you're looking at your financial plan on, you know, you have your assets, your liabilities, you have your income. This is how much you need from the portfolio. Here's how it's invested. All of that needs to be working together. Um, and my question for these people that, you know, they were surveying here, you know, how many of them have that? How many of these people are just in a 401k? Do you um, have a plan? I mean, that's the critical thing. You have to exactly. have a plan. Yeah, exactly. That's our ad that's running. Um, and so yeah, uh, and we do financial planning. We're actually pretty good at it. <laughs> and the, the, well, hey, there's music. So if you don't have a plan, or even if you have a plan you want us to review, give us a call, 859-233-0400. You can also schedule an appointment directly on our website on our homepage at dupreefinancial.com. Congressman Andy Barr will be joining us in just a few minutes for the first segment of the third hour. And Tom, what's he going over this time? Debt limit negotiation. That's an important one. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Congressman Andy Barr.